Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. Hey friends, today's episode is brought to you by Engageo, the leader in account-based marketing and sales with their all-in-one solution. Are you familiar with account-based marketing and sales? I mean, if you're selling to the enterprise, to big business, account-based strategies are the new wave of doing business. If you're selling to the enterprise, if you're dealing with multiple decision makers, if you need to close larger deals, then an account-based approach is a necessity. However, while there's a lot of talk out there about account-based marketing and sales, there's very little actionable advice on strategies and tactics you need to take. So our friends at Engageo asked dozens of independent sales and marketing experts, leaders in their fields, to contribute their recommendations about what you need to know to get started with it. And Engageo has compiled the collective wisdom of these experts into a most comprehensive guide that reveals everything you need to know about using account-based strategies to win bigger deals. It's called The Clear and Complete Guide to Account-Based Sales Development. It's free, and you need it. So head over to Engageo.com forward slash accelerate and grab your copy today. That's Engageo.com forward slash accelerate. Okay, let's do the show. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 478 of Accelerate, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Now, if you like the show, it really helps out if you just took a minute and subscribed, left a review for us, and you can do all that right from the podcast app on the phone you're using to listen to this podcast. So go ahead and hit pause, subscribe. Leave your quick review and then come right back. We'll be waiting for you. All right. I am honored to be joined on the show today by Jeffrey Hazlett. He's the CEO of Hazlett Group, founder and chairman of C-Suite Network and various other C-Suite platforms such as C-Suite TV, C-Suite Advisors. And C-Suite Network is one of the largest, if not the largest, networking group devoted specifically to C-Suite execs. I think close to half a million C-Suite execs are participating in their activities. So, one of the topics we're really going to explore is with okay all this input about what's going on in the C-suite is what is happening in the C-suite? What does it mean for sales? And what's that mean for you in terms of selling to the C-suite? How can you do that more effectively? And Jeffrey's got a unique perspective on that and look forward to talking to him. So Jeffrey Hazlett, welcome to Accelerate. Well, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, my pleasure. So, you know, I, I was going through your bio and, and you've got this this term in there, you're global business celebrity. I think I have a new goal in life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody said, what is it? I said, whatever we make it. I mean, that's what it is. You know, <laughs> you know, I've been, I'm like the Forrest Gump of business. I'm in the middle of all these deals, you know, bought and sold over 250 companies, but, you know, but I, at the same time with the stuff that I've done at the fortune 100 level, I've, you know, I've been on television and my own primetime shows, uh, now doing digital shows, podcasts like yourself. 
And, you know, but at the same time, I used to always go to the, you know, uh, the Oscars. I've been to the, you know, Daytona 500s. I used to do all these kinds of things and, and be a part of that because of sponsorships or partnerships. Or then I got invited, as you know, um, as a judge on Celebrity Apprentice for a number of seasons. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I, I guess I first became aware of you when you were working at Kodak. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was what was before Kodak? Because you talked about a lot of entrepreneurial experience, buying and selling companies. What what did you yeah. do before then? Well, right before Kodak, I was just working my own public relations firm. I had about two or three people uh, working for me. I was just kind of you know kind of honing my own stuff, and then I bought. At that time, I owned uh, a couple of franchises, started a franchise with uh, the Sir Speedy guys and bought the very first one called Team Logic IT, uh, which is an IT outsourcing company for small business. Mm-hmm. And then so I owned those. I owned some new. And then at the same time, I bought some new Horizons computer learning centers at the very same time. So I operated a couple of those. And then, um, you know, when I became the CMO of Kodak, they said, you can't have all that stuff. So I sold them. <laughs> Um, you know, um, to get out of the business. But then, you know, but before that, I was with a company called Synveo, which is a publicly traded, um, at that time, the second or third largest uh, printing company in the world um, with hundreds of locations, billions of dollars worth of revenue. And, of course, we bought and sold a bunch of companies to get it to that point. But um, well, so, so it. Yeah. So just jump into Kodak. I mean, you you were there at a really interesting time. I mean, it was... <laughs> it was. You can it, say that. I guess it was. It was, it was also one of those times you you're banging your head up against a wall. Right. I mean, because I mean, the writing was on the wall from a technology standpoint, and and so on. I mean, what when you went there? I don't know, it's if, like, I don't know if I'd say the writing was on the wall. Depends on what you mean, but you know. But then I say well, that from a because, technology evolution standpoint, not not necessarily the fate of the company. Yeah, but, I mean, but you don't know what's in there. I mean, look, you, you're talking about a company that that has uh, the third largest patent holder in the world. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, they got a lot of stuff. They've invented a lot of stuff. They got stuff yeah. that you haven't even thought of. You know, I, I I did an April Fool's joke one time about the the uh, the eye camera uh, that we launching a new eye camera until one of the scientists came by and says, "Well, we own that. We have a patent for that." <laughs> what? You know, I did this April Fool's joke. You know, so you know, then I made a joke about uh, pictures you could smell. Uh, don't say that. We own a patent on that. You know, so it was like, so they had all this stuff. I mean, we even had a nuclear reactor in the, you know, in the basement of the building. I mean, they had everything uh, as you could possibly imagine. And yet, you know, the problem was around execution in terms of being stuck in the hubris of their own success Mm -hmm. of, of, of really just saying, we're going to protect film at all cost and that's what that's that's what caused the problem i mean they invented the first digital camera in 1976 right i remember reading that yeah but it's the implementation i mean look here's the uh, you know i think you you would understand this um, as well as anyone but an, an idea without you know implementation is nothing but air you know an idea without execution is nothing but air and and so great to have all these ideas, great to do all this stuff. But if you don't implement innovation, change, you don't drive, adapt, you die. And that's what happened to that company. And and yet, you know, some of us thought, man, it's Kodak. Oh, let's go. Let's go help. Let's do this. Let's try to do it. Man, I gave it my all. I will tell you, no one worked you know, I'll say this myself, but no one worked harder. I mean, I was there until midnight, two, three o'clock in the morning. I knew every security guard. I knew every cleaning person because I was literally one of the few people 
in the building at that time. You know, I had keys to every, by the way, I'd, it was so cool too. I had keys <laughs> to everything. I had keys to the outside that would let me on the roof, uh, you know, uh, places that no one ever gets to go because I was just, that's just the kind of guy I am. I, I want to go in the basement. I want to see what's down there. You know, well, you, you said, now you said there was a nuclear reactor. Yeah, we had, you know, you got to imagine when you're a company like Kodak, well, what do we do? Well, imaging. So we help the government with certain projects, right? Mm -hmm. So you can imagine in the Cold War, the government was taking agents and putting agents into harm's way to take pictures inside of arms facilities on the other side of the Iron Curtain. Right. So, so we sent spies, right, into mm -hmm. the Soviet Union, Czechoslovakia, the Ukraine, you name it, wherever they were making these, 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 these weapons of mass destruct destruction or assimilating certain pieces. And, and they need to take pictures. Well, what did you take pictures with back then in the Cold War? Well, film, pictures, camera. So we had to help design cameras that would, would, that would get near – nuclear material mm -hmm. radioactive so, material yeah and, yeah yeah so well we all know that if you put film through an x-ray machine what's it do ruins it right so you know there's these warnings on you know there sure. used to be a lot more warnings on your <laughs> yeah, people carried film cameras yeah yeah right right i mean there, there's a warning hey be careful if you're if it's over this over this uh, you're gonna it's gonna ruin the film so we had to design products that would do that well to design the products you have to have the material yeah, no, it's, so it makes, a lot so of makes sense. sense. Yeah, yeah. So, so down in the deep dark basement, we had this material. Yeah. So now you're the founder of the C Suite Network. So tell people what that is. Yeah, we. You know, I, I, I. One of the things that I participated in years over the years is these networking groups of various groups of for of CMOs, you know, C Suite executives, uh, industry events, and you get together with people you know, and 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 you get great value from that. And I said, well, how can we make that better? How can we create something that's that's like LinkedIn but on steroids? You know, it's kind of like gets us connected, but we can do it at a much bigger scale, and with the real people that I want to connect to. Because in LinkedIn, yeah, I got everybody coming to me, and I don't want to talk to these people. You know, no offense, they're nice people, but they really just want to sell me stuff, not what I need. Mm -hmm. So decided to create a network that focuses on what you and other business leaders need. So we created the most trusted, powerful network in the world, and that's the C-suite network. Well, what's that mean? Trusted meaning we vet everybody that comes in. So you must be this tall before you can get in. <laughs> And not, not literally at all, but you know what I mean. You, yep. you must yeah. be a VP or greater of a company of a certain size, or we don't let you in. We, we like you, thank you, but you can't come in. I'm sorry. You, it's nice, you know, but when you get big enough, you can come in. And, and, and so that's one. And then, and then powerful because, man, look what we've got. Today, we have over 500,000 executives that have, have joined and opted in to be a part of it. And some, many of them are paying members, and we feed them content through C-Suite TV, C-Suite Radio, like shows like this. And a podcast, great podcast host that we have. We're the, the very first all-business podcast network in the world. Right, where you can find the show Accelerate on the C-Suite Radio it, Network. Exactly, yeah. We went after folks like you, very talented hosts and shows, and said, look, come be a part of the network. We're going to create the very first all-business and largest podcast network. Well, we, we're all, first of all, the only one, so now it makes us the largest. <laughs> also <laughs> makes us the smallest, I think, too, but, yeah. but that's a different thing, a different deal. But, yeah. Well. And, and, and so, you know, so we feed this content up to people, much like you go to a great restaurant. And when you sit down, they bring you, you know, they know you and, and they bring you the, your drink or your appetizer, whatever it is, it is that you like to have. Well, that's what we do too. 
except we just do it for business people so that we can help them be the most strategic people in the room. And that's what the C-Suite Network's all about. So large, large sales audience listening to this probably, you know, drooling, thinking, gosh, how do I get access to selling to these C-Suite leaders? Yeah, well, there's ways. I mean, we certainly have partners. Um, we have advisors. We have partners who come and sponsor things and participate. You can sponsor this podcast. That'd be a great way mm-hmm. um, because that's who's, you know, we're, we get your your podcast goes out and mailed out to 500,000 executives, of, you know, at least 500. I think it's like, you know, roughly 400 and some odd that have opted in on that list. And then, of course, we I just got through meeting with the team and we're running ads on your podcast. So so it, we're broadcasting it out to more and more people. And that, what, what a great way. So that's one way. Yes. I'm sure you take it. You'll take an advertiser, won't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've been known to do that. Yes. So, um, yeah. Well, there is no one's opposed to making money here at the show. So now yeah. you have a you have a radio show on on CBS called All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. So, you want know, you know, start sort of a global question, though. We'll, we'll narrow it down to more of a sales focus in just a second. But but you talk to top business leaders. What what are the big concerns or challenges you're hearing from them right now about today's business environment? Well, you know, the whole Trump thing's got everybody in a, in a tizzy. That's one. So the uncertainty of what that will cause, although most of them are fairly positive about, you know, the outcome. You know, change is always good. It, you know, means it moves things. So that's that's not a bad thing. But they, they're pretty positive about what that means for business. They actually think he's fairly good for business. So far, it's been shown in the markets that that's okay. But the, the real concern or the thing I always hear, and it's a real theme, it's always around talent and people. Um, that, that's, that's one of the common themes that I, when I'm interviewing these top leaders and and they could be celebrities and they could be, you know, top CEOs, top CMOs, uh, business executives and thought leaders. But when I, the one common thing that I always hear from the guys that, and gals that run the franchise operations, you know, large networks, large businesses, and it is always around people. And so I I just think that's kind of a unique thing to bring up. so. So. I mean, are they talking about what they can do to sort of address that or is it? Yeah, it's, it's how to motivate, how to inspire, how to get them to do the things you want to do, how to get them to do more, how to find the right ones. It's, you know, that's a common theme that, that when you all get down to it, when you, between, whether you're on main street, you know, uh, in a small town or you're on wall street, that seems to be the biggest concern that most executives have to deal with. And um, so I think that's kind of an interesting thing, you know. So you know they 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 all spend the same amount of time about worrying about either motivating the team, educating the team, training the team, getting the team to move in the right direction, getting to move faster with greater scale. Uh, do they have the right team? Will the team be able to make the transition as they move to more digital, um, you know, um, businesses uh, or or lines of business, and, and all these kinds of things. And you know. Um, it's just kind of an interesting thing. So, hmm. well, and that's certainly a lot of currency as we look at uh, you know some of the issues regarding regarding immigration and and some of the H one B visas and so on. As you know, that all starts sort of playing playing together there. Yeah, and for most people, we're north of the wall, so you know, or soon to be wall. So it's it's not as much of an issue for a lot of us, but but it does have some impact on your business. So certainly, if um, if we start restricting things or or kicking people out because they don't have things, so, um, you know, both in a tech business, non tech business, um, domestic help, everything. Yeah, yeah, no, the impact is yeah potentially huge. So you've served. 
going further down that road is, you know, you've been CMO, CEO of large companies. Um, so, yeah, and this audience always wants to know, and you've, you know, run the C-suite network, and you obviously talk with a large number of, of C-suite executives at all times, is, is they're always sort of curious, is, you know, okay, how do they more effectively sell into the C-suite? So, from your perspective, it'd really be interesting to get your your oh, ideas cool. done. How how do you do that? I mean, how do you become more effective at that? What do you what do you well, look for as you as a C suite executive well, I, yourself? I think it's, that's a great question. You know, and we could do a whole couple of hours on just that alone. But to give you the short pieces is, I find that most executives, most people selling to me when I'm sitting in the C suite, they don't do their homework. They How waste about you money. or the problem or all Both. of it. All yep, of it. Yeah, yep. all of it. Uh, they just don't do their homework. They come very ill-prepared. You know, first of all, to come and ask me for it, let's, let's have a cup of coffee. What, what do you, you don't want a cup of coffee. What the hell do you want? Tell me what you want. You know, I, I don't have time. You just wasted my time. Now I'm irritated. I really don't care to talk to you because you're not telling me the things you want. Be direct. And so now that doesn't work with everyone. So first of all, you want to know me. So what type of personality am I? Because there's only four basic personality types that you're going to sell to. I mean, you could probably break down more, but mm-hmm. but by and large, I'm I'm a driver. I only have two modes of operation. I either want to seduce you or overpower you. You know, so you know, I'm best to use a two or three uh, option close. Two is better. Uh, but if you don't give me an option, my other option is no. So I'm going to say no. So so you know, there's lots of ways to be able to pack it. So first of all, get to know me. Know me ahead of time without having to ask me questions. I, don't 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 bore me. There's a bio. There's a Wikipedia on me. You know, go 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 Google me. You want to buy? You know, read about me. Read my books. You know, do all those kinds of things first. Mm-hmm. Then then second, understand the scope of which I'm operating. You know, I used to have people come to me and Jeff, I want to help you save hundreds of dollars. What are you nuts? I run a $17 billion business. You want to save me hundreds of dollars? You just cost me hundreds of dollars. You know, so so don't do say stupid things like that. Then don't come back and then say. And, and by the way, I would write you back because I love to play this way and say, "Listen, if you're only going to save me hundreds of dollars, I'm not interested." Then they come back and say, "No, I really meant thousands." So, wait, dude, don't listen to me, man. <laughs> you know, you know, look it up. He's going to come a, back with millions after that. I was yeah, just exactly <laughs> right. It's exactly right. I'm a, I'm a Fortune 100 company. Do you think I'm interested in saving? Thousands, certainly I am, but I'm more interested in saving and being more effective with billions or millions of dollars. So talk to me about that. Now, the next thing is then start to tell me the value that you can bring to me. What's the value? So tell me about your experience in this industry. It lead me to believe you got great credibility and reliability and relevancy in the marketplaces that I'm serving. And and so people fail to tell that. So, you know, you really have a hundred I call it hundred and eighteen. You got one eighteen. You got you got eight seconds to hook me. Mm-hmm. So so what's the hook? What are you gonna say that, that, that gets the lean in factor for me? That I wanna lean in and we all know that. Where you say something that's so most so provocative that I actually lean in and want to hear the rest of it. Is and then it, you got in that go case ahead. is it a statement or a question? Either way, either way. I mean, it could be an example. It could be a picture. It could be an image. It could be a drawing. It could be anything, right? Um, right. It, it could be a testimonial. But it's got to be something that says, oh, I want to hear the rest of that. See, because eight seconds is the average attention span of adult. In C-suite, it's typically even less than that. So you got eight seconds to catch my catch me. That's it. Otherwise, I'm moving on. Mm-hmm. And then you got then you got 110 seconds, which is the average elevator ride in New York City from the time you, you know, press the button, step on, go up or go down, and get off. So, um, 
So, so what is it? What's the value? Don't tell me you work with this company, this company. I, could, I don't give a rat's rear end about that. What I do care about what value you're going to bring to me. So now tell me the relevancy, the, the competency you have in this, in this space or area, industry, product, whatever you're going to do for me. Man, then now you got my attention. And, and that's really what you have to state, and you have, and you have to do it on my terms, and that's just that's the nature of the game. So, so find the personality type. Is it a driver, an analytic, expressive, and amiable? You know, mm-hmm. and then how you sell to each of those is different. So the approach is going to be different, and then and then and then the way in which you close them is different uh, in terms of techniques. And and a lot of people have gotten away because of the digital world from these types of closing techniques as well. But they're still relevant whether you're using them in a click funnel. Um, lead pages or you're doing it by the phone or you know the old belly to belly belly rubbing sales salespeople. Well are you finding more that uh, and are you hearing this with your you know, members of your network and so on that because certainly if you read the literature it's hey it's we're all becoming about consensus, right? That you know the CEO you know, you don't need to sell to the C-suite as much because we got these stakeholders, we gotta make sure the stakeholders are all aligned because CEO is basically just saying you know, up or down based on the recommendation yeah, that comes well, to them. I'm not buying that. Because, <laughs> here's You're why. Not. So, no, not in a big company. I mean, is there some of that? Yeah. Do you need to have some buy-in? But do I see CEOs make multi-billion dollar decisions without checking in with the rest of everybody, see if everybody's happy with it? Yeah. Um, do I see, you know, so what's the signing authority of each of these people? You know, so when I was a, a CMO of, of a, at this Fortune 100 company, Kodak, I, I could sign $2 million. Now that's fairly significant if if your deal's more than two million. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's less than two million, is, do I have to take it to the CFO? No, I would have taken it to the CFO, not because I needed to, but because it's the proper thing to do. Right? It it, it makes things a lot easier when Frank, who's my CFO, knows that I'm going to be spending this money, so I don't have to explain it. So it, so he doesn't have to ask the question. So I I would constantly take. Purchases, you know, a cu- over a couple hundred thousand, usually over two hundred fifty. I'd sit down with Frank on a regular basis and say, hey, "Frank, I just want to let you know I'm doing this, this, and this. It's in the budget, but but I just want you to know these things to give you a heads up. And by the way, I think these have capital concerns, which means we should amortize the capital expenses here and this and that. And so, you know, I would do those kinds of things. But yeah, but what's the signing authority? I mean, I, it's interesting. I, I sit down with a lot of young young Turk companies, and you know, I serve on fourteen different boards. And so sometimes they'll say, "Well, we're going to go." Sell the enterprise. I said, well, great. That's enterprise. Well, how much? And they said 250000 I said, well, you just added a, a year's to your sales call, sales time. What do you mean? I said, well, who do you sell to? They said, well, the manager. I said, the manager have a signing, signing authority for 250000 Many times they don't know. And so then I walk them through and say, okay, the manager, the director, ha- manager has this, the director has this. So, and then the, then the VP has this and the VP has got to take that to the CMO. And most CMOs don't have that kind of signing authority like I did at two million. Mm-hmm. They might only have two hundred thousand. So that means they've now got it. So now a decision that you're working with the manager has to go to a director. So let's just add that it takes two or three weeks for that to occur on a good good day. Yep. Right? It but now you've added all that extra time, and by the time you get to the CMO CFO, and then maybe even a committee that has to decide, well, my gosh, then you're a year away. And that's why I say, so sometimes you want to look at starting smaller in order to build bigger for those kinds of sales. So Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that's actually I have a couple chapters. My most recent book about that is for just that reason, for just that reason. 
I should have read the book. Don't there we go. Read the book. Yeah. yeah so read, read the read the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so just sort of last question along that line is is in your mind for you personally, you know, was it the thing that captured your attention most? Was it was it the business case or was it the questions? You know, what 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 piqued your curiosity the most? Um, the usually, oh man, that's a hard question to answer. You, you, it's typically me seeing the vision of what's going to occur as a result of working with you. Mm-hmm. It's so it's the business case is the way the questions might've got me to focus attention on it. So you might need that with a person like me because you know, every, cause you know, I'm ADD as well. So, but I'm looking around the second you come in, I'm looking for the next thing I'm looking, you know, it's just, that's just the nature of that. So just getting, keeping people's attention. So the questions might be critical to keep focusing attention to, in a way that says, if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss out on this. And, but it's always the business case or the results of what we're going to do that keeps me there. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So sure, that's sure, going sure. right. to be compelling. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great answer. So sort of playing off the back of that is, is, you know, you went through with a big company that was in the midst of a you know, really significant transformation, things transforming all the way around it. So what were some of the, the you know, key lessons that you talked about implementation earlier, but other key lessons you learned about transformation, something that, you know, the entrepreneurs you work with or entrepreneurs and sales leaders listening to this need to understand because we are, you know, in the midst of huge transformations taking place, digital transformation affecting yeah. a lot of businesses and so on. The rule of thirds. I call it the rule of thirds. So a third of people get it right away. Kind of like early doctors. Like if you're selling something, third people, boom, boom, they all go for it. And then a third eventually get it. And then a third never do. But you know what? We spend a hell of a lot of time in big companies, small and big, worrying about the third that never do. And and, and you know what? I'm sorry. We love you, but we're going to miss you. you. You just can't concentrate on that. You have to focus on the people that you can save and the people and the people who will get it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and they're going to help you make the transition. They're going to help you get to where you are. And if you don't get that, and if you don't drink the Kool-Aid, if you don't jump on the wagon, drink the champagne, whatever you want to call it, then I'm sorry. We love you, but we're going to miss you. And you've got to move on. And I would move with greater speed on that. And, and, and not, not that because it's callous or it's just, I got to thin the herd or whatever it is, you know, that you, you sometimes have to do in terms of, it's just that you drag everybody else down by having to have you catch up. And in some cases in making that transformation or in growing the business of where you go, you don't have the luxury of doing that. And nor is it, nor quite frankly, is it your responsibility? Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's one of the greatest lessons that I've learned in the process. And I, I just, I just move on and, you know, I, you know, you, you know, I live out in a ranch, you know, Mm -hmm. and and sometimes you have to, yeah, in South Dakota and you, you have to make hard decisions. It's not an easy thing, you know, to have to put your horse down who you had for uh, your life, but that, that's just the nature of life. And, and in this case, uh, in, in transformational businesses, the, the other the other piece of it is is the is the power of being irrational. <laughs> no, I like so, that. explain. So explain what you mean. I like that. Yeah. Well, I did a television show on Bloomberg, um, you know, where I used to be a contributing editor, and now I have that show on C-suite TV, where 
where we, uh, I, I did an interview with the CEO of a, a large company. It was about three, four billion dollars, and it was selling to Thermo Fisher for about nine or thirteen billion dollars. And so I went to visit them while they were going through that transformation of switching and selling to the company because I wanted to be inside the company and see what it was like for people who knew at the top they were going to lose their jobs. I mean, they were going to be mm-hmm. going. Right. And I wanted to see what it was like to have that kind of conversation and, and how this company was making making this happen. It was called Life Technologies. Sure. And the CEO, the CEO, Greg Lucier, a good friend of mine and great guy, I just really like him a lot. And he's, he spoke at um, a Harvard uh, Business Club, um, uh, MBA, um, Harvard MBA you know, alumni group mm-hmm. in San Diego. And he put up a slide and said, leaders must be irrational. I thought, what? You got to be kidding me. I'm going to grill this guy. That, that's ridiculous. What do you mean leaders have to be irrational? If anything, he's a life, you know, life technologies is a, is a scientific uh, company that maps the human genome. It's a, it's a biotech company, and he's publicly traded. So two things. One, he should be, if anything, logical, you know, and, and straightforward. But here he's saying he's got to be irrational. And then he said, look, as leaders, we have to go from point A to point B. But sometimes you must tell people we're going to go way over here to C just to get them to B. And I thought, wow, that's pretty smart and and true. You know, so so sometimes we hear our sales leaders, let's use that in perspective with your most of your audience. We will tell people we have to go for the big stretch goal in order to get them to where we really need them. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't that sad that we have to do that to some extent? But that's being irrational. It, it's kind of like when you're in high school or college and you played sports and the coach, you know, at the end of the practice and you're exhausted, you, you think you're about just to heave everything and you're just so exhausted and you're, everything hurts, you know. Um, and then all of a sudden the coach says, get up, run another one. You know, run another lap, mm-hmm. you know, and you think and you think you're going to die. And guess what? You didn't. So that's what it's like. Sometimes I think we have to do that. Is there a danger you know, of overplaying so, that hand? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. If you if 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 indeed uh, you're crying wolf all the time. Right. Yeah. So, you know, but but if you know, if 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 you're saying, hey, let's go there. I, you know what you find, though, Andy, is that most of the times you can get there. <laughs> Most of the times you can get there. Mm-hmm. So, so if if you went from A to B and you really went to B plus, you know, halfway between B and C, is that okay? Everybody's excel, excited, sure. excited, because all your bonuses are built on B, right? So, so you know, that means you're going to make a lot more. You're going to do a lot more. It's going to be okay. So it depends on you know whether you're just being totally devious or you're just truly trying to be a great coach and, and try to get people there. And I think people see that. I think they see that you're crazy a little bit. You know, it's like me running around the office when it's cold. Everybody says, oh, it's cold in the office. I said, well, work harder. <laughs> you know, it, it, you know it, it's just me being me, and that's okay. Everybody can kind of get that. That's all right. Yeah, which office was that, South Dakota or New York? Oh, it's both of them. Trust me. They, they're both like that. But you that's don't okay. turn the heat on in South Dakota? No, we turn the heat on, but uh, today, but today our bill, we we just bought, we bought our, we have our, we own the building and we got IBM and part of the building and we're taking over a lot more of the space because the C-suite network has grown about 280% in the last year. And this year we'll add another zero to that, I, I think. Um, well, that's my belief. Uh, of course, I'm a little crazy. Who knows? Yeah, so, you're, uh, you're practicing yeah, irrationality. Yeah, so so it's about 40 degrees outside as we spend this uh, beautiful spring day, and the construction guys have got the doors open, so it's a little, <laughs> it's a little chilly. It's a little chilly. <laughs> yeah, but you're from the Midwest. That's, that's just perfect, right? Hey, I'm in a pair of shorts and cowboy boots right now, so it's, it's fine with me. 
pair of shorts and a cowboy boots. Okay, I don't think I want to imagine that. But anyway, okay. So, <laughs> so uh, Jeffrey, it's been great to have you on the show. Tell folks how they can find out more about C-Suite Network or whatever else and connect with you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, you know, C-Suite Network, C-Suite, S-U-I-T-E, C-Suite, as in executives in the C-Suite, CEOs, CMOs, CFOs. So you just go to C-Suite Network, anything there, dot com, and then go to C-Suite TV, C-Suite Radio, C-Suite Book Radio. Club. Yeah, we're everywhere. Um, C-Suite Advisors. You can go and look at any of those sites or just look at the hashtag C-Suite. You typically find our post and track us down from there. Or just write to me, Jeffrey Hazlett, H-A-Y-Z-L-E-T-T. You can find me. Hey, you find me everywhere. All right. Well, good. Well, Jeffrey, again, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Thank you. And friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. And remember, come back, join us again tomorrow. Till then, I really appreciate it if you take time. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review for this podcast. We want to hear what we can do to serve you even better than we are. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales, we're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.